Hi guys, and welcome to Creog Review Corner. I'm Laura. And I'm Matt. And today we're going to be discussing Practice Bulletin 161 on External Cephalic Version and Committee Opinion 340 on um, Term Singleton Vaginal Breach Deliveries. I thought these were very interesting, both of them. Um, specifically because the Term Vaginal Breach Deliveries, we don't do a lot here. Those that do, we have a couple of providers that do them, and uh, all of the residents are elbowing their way into the room trying to get their hands on doing one of these for themselves. Yeah, actually we had one earlier this week, and I think there were about 30 people in that room watching the uh, watching the delivery. However, we do a lot of the external cephalic versions. This is very true. So maybe we should start with that. Sounds good. So our cesarean section rate, for anybody who's interested, is about the same as that um, across the U.S., which is 30%. Um, and even though breach presentation only counts for about 3 to 4% of fetuses, the majority of those are delivered by C-section. Now, Laura, I was very surprised that 20 to 30% of people were not being offered an external cephalic version. This is true. I think we do a pretty good job um, counseling here, and our MFMs get quite a few of them. So our candidates are normally um, greater than or equal to 37 and 07 weeks, and this is for a couple of reasons. So spontaneous version will hopefully have occurred by this point. So these babies that are breached are probably going to remain there unless we flip them. Um, the rate of the babies reverting back to breach presentation is also decreased. And um, there's any complications. We already have a term baby if we need to do a cesarean section. If you do decide to perform an extracephalic version on a late preterm baby, all you you really need to think about the risks versus benefits of a vaginal delivery versus um, a preterm delivery. And fortunately, there are no um, absolute or even really relative contraindications unless it's a contra a maternal contraindication to a vaginal delivery. Right, which I was very surprised at actually that you know most of these guidelines that we get there's relative or absolute contra contraindications that we go by that we say okay does this person fit it but. I think there's just not adequate data is what they brought up. Mm -hmm. So maybe in the future, maybe not, but as of right now. Yeah, and that was even true about patients with a prior uterine scar. Um, so people with a um, prior C-section that really wanted to try to V-back, um, the studies are probably too small to determine the risk of uterine rupture for those patients, but saw no difference in success rates for version, uh, whether or not patients had a uh, prior uterine scar. So I'm going to go over the benefits, the best part of it. Okay. So, increased probability of vertex presentation. The next one is a decreased cesarean section rate compared to those who don't have one. Now, it's not 100% that once we do the external cephalic version that they're going to have a vaginal delivery, but it does increase their probability of having a vaginal delivery. Uh, another big thing is there's no difference in APGAR score, umbilical cord pH, or neonatal death. This is true. All right, I guess I get to be the Debbie Downer with the risks here. So all these risks are fortunately less than 1%, but they are pretty important to talk to our patients about. So placental abruption, umbilical cord prolapse, stillbirth, fetal maternal hemorrhage, and rupture of membranes are all possible during this procedure. Normally, we will see a change in fetal heart rate um, during the procedure, which for the most part corrects itself afterwards. At our institution, we watch our patients for one to two hours afterwards to ensure fetal well-being before discharge if they aren't 
going to be delivered immediately. Perfect. So pooled data shows that it's a 58% success rate. But the range is 16 to 100%. That's a pretty wide range. Yeah. There are um, complications in 6.1%. Factors that increase your likelihood of success. So those include increased parity, a transverse or oblique lie. Those oblique ones are really great. You can just kind of pop them back into place. In fact, we were told by the maternal fetal medicine doctor here that sometimes it's even just a sonogram external cephalic version with the probe. You just kind of push a little harder. Yes, indeed. Also, uh, having a higher AFI versus oligohydramnios, a posterior placenta, and decreased maternal weight uh, increase your risk uh, or increase your um, likelihood of success. Perfect. Now, there are some scoring systems out there that I was reading about in the practice bulletin, but they're not validated, and it's unclear if they're actually useful. And at our institution, we don't happen to use them. As far as risk factors for increased um, failure of your version are nulliparity, advanced cervical dilation, fetal weight less than 2,500 grams, and anterior placenta, low station because it's really hard to push those kids up and out, and increased maternal BMI. Perfect. So the next thing that's talked about are tocolytics. So specifically terbutaline. Side note, remember that terbutaline is a beta-2 adrenergic agonist. So it's contraindicated in arrhythmias. If you just remember that terbutaline can cause heart problems, both for mom and fetus. So remember, maternal side effects are arrhythmias, pulmonary edema, myocardial ischemia, hypotension, and tachycardia. And then the fetal side effect is tachycardia. So they recommend um, terbutaline because it's been shown to increase the success rate by about double. It also reduces the cesarean section rate. You have a lower failure of a vaginal delivery. And one thing I thought was interesting is they do not recommend use of nitric oxide. So I know that's been a hot topic around um, the country lately, and people are using nitric oxide. The issue is they do not recommend it specifically for external cephalic version at this time. There's also a question about whether or not having regional anesthesia helped as well. Right now, there are relatively small studies, and some of them have found greater success with the use of regional anesthesia. Others have not. However, um, meta-analysis of these studies noted an increased success for version with regional compared with no regional anesthesia. The meaty portion of this practice bulletin has to do with the table that they have mm -hmm. near the end. And it's kind of a protocol that they show um, that they recommend. And it's a nice nice table. You should look at it and you should go through it and, uh, and use it. So the first part is, as we talked about, assessing the fetus at around 37 and zero weeks to see if this baby is still breech or not. Sometimes we can scan them and, and they flipped on their own. Now this doesn't mean that they're gonna stay that way, but we definitely wanna see whether we're gonna counsel the patient on an external cephalic version or not. Mm -hmm. So if it is still in a malpresentation, you're gonna counsel the patient, and if the patient agrees, you're gonna schedule that external cephalic version for 37 and zero weeks, like we talked about before. So then when your patient comes in for your external cephalic version, the first thing you want to do is rescan them because maybe this baby has flipped on its own. We can always hope. At this time, we normally do a BPP as well and an NST just to assess fetal well-being overall. Again, we're going to review the contraindications with mom, make sure she still agrees, and obtain that informed consent. Indeed. So then we would go ahead and give her the terbutaline. 
which again don't do it if mom has any sort of arrhythmias and then we go ahead and attempt that cephalic version all you really have to do it can be a one-person job here we normally use two people I think it's a little bit easier um, one person takes the head one person takes the butt so the person with the butt goes ahead and pushes up to try to get the pelvis out of the maternal pelvis and then normally we try for a forward roll initially if that doesn't work if the head is close to the maternal pelvis through a backwards roll we would try to backwards roll that baby in um, during our versions we always use intermittent sano to double check the heart rate and assess our um, movement of the baby i think you get really good at this i have two little girls at home and teaching them how to do a somersault in the living room is actually a good practice for this this is really right? true you're pushing them from behind and tucking their head that's basically the movement that it is exactly of course if you're noticing significant fetal bradycardias or mom is very uncomfortable or this kid just really isn't moving probably a good idea to stop the procedure and after that when you we can monitor for up to 30 for greater than 30 minutes we normally do it for about two hours and of course if mom is rh negative be sure to give her that rogam if you're not anticipating a delivery within 72 hours if your ecv is successful hopefully at that point you'll be able to your patient will be able to go on and have a vaginal delivery of course if this baby decides not to cooperate and reverts to breach presentation you can either consider a retrial of your version or schedule her for a cesarean delivery. Well, Laura, I guess I'll take the bad news on this portion since you took it on the prior. <laughs> so if the version is unsuccessful, if you haven't practiced at home with your children or your nieces or nephews, and you just can't get that baby to flip, then there's a couple things you can do. You can do the wait and see approach. They can still spontaneously convert to vertex. So we kind of wait and see. The other thing is we can offer mom another retrial maybe attempt to do spinal anesthesia and retry with that. If mom declines, then we can either set up for a primary cesarean section, or we can go on to our committee opinion about term vaginal breach deliveries. Which I found really interesting because as we said before, we don't have too many providers that do these at this point. Um, ACOG currently recommends that decisions regarding mode of delivery really depend on the experience of the healthcare provider. I thought it was interesting in the committee opinion that it talked about that study. What was the study name again? The term breach trial. Right, the term breach trial. So before the term breach trial, everybody tried for vaginal deliveries, even if they were breach. Then this study comes out and ACOG goes, uh-oh, there's some bad things that can happen. Indeed. Nobody should be able to do this. Correct. However, um, in the follow-up to the term breach trial, most of these follow-ups were done in Europe. Um, it was noted that the risk of death or developmental delay was not different in the planned cesarean delivery versus the planned breach vaginal delivery group. Um, however, it was noted that with an increased risk in cesarean delivery, um, there was decreased neonatal mortality and decreased birth trauma. So at this point, ACOG has revised or had revised their recommendation, basing this on the experience of the provider. So Matt, what are some of the criteria for the breech vaginal delivery? Let's say we have one like we had just the other day where 30 people were in the room wanting to lay eyes on this rare occurrence for us. 
Of course you would pimp me in front of all of our listeners. So, criteria for breech vaginal delivery. Number one, you want to make sure that they have an estimated gestational age of greater than 37 weeks. You want to make sure they have either they're in a frank or complete breech position. Yeah, we don't want any of those incomplete babies with one leg hanging out. You want to make sure that you know why they're in this position as well. So if they have a fetal anomaly, you want to make sure that you know about it. Mm -hmm. um, adequate maternal pelvis is also a big indicator. And an estimated fetal weight of at least 2,500 grams. But no more than 4,000 grams because we don't want these uh, shoulder dyscocias happening with the head still in the maternal pelvis. So just remember that breech vaginal deliveries really just depend on provider experiencing comfort with it. And up here, there aren't too many. It's a pretty rare occurrence. And Lord knows we all want to be in on delivering that baby. Right. And just remember as well with our external cephalic version, follow the little guideline that they have and the protocol that they have and make sure you're offering it to patients. I can't believe that 20 to 30% are not even offered it. Yeah. Oof. All right, guys, that's all we have for today. So join us next time. Mm -hmm.